You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. And so this morning, you're not just going to listen, you're going to listen by faith. Everyone say, I'm activated. Amen. And so I was praying and the Lord gave me two messages, one for this uh, this year as we come to a close and one for next year. And so we're going to look at this one. And uh, I believe that from the word of God, we're going to see four things that if we will pay attention to these four things, if we will do these four things, then God's really going to help us. And I'll just be, uh, you know, I'll tell you exactly what he told me. He said, if we don't do these things, we will not make it as a believer. There's something on the horizon. I don't know what it is, but there's something coming. And you need to be ready. Amen. Someone say, I'm ready. You know, SpongeBob says, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Hallelujah. You need to be ready. Someone say, I'm ready. These four things we're going to look at, not only will get you ready, but it will keep you ready. And what we're going to be talking about is how to live as an overcomer. I love that first song, Mr. Miller and the team, you know, they, they do a wonderful job. He got it right this morning. He gets it right every morning, but I'm an overcomer. <laughs> Woo, I'm an overcomer. Yeah, I mean, maybe we can dance, we can shout, we can sing to that song. Hallelujah. Everyone say, I'm an overcomer. And so we're going to look about living as an overcomer. First of all, before we get to these four points, and we're going to do a contextual study of Matthew chapter 14, but before we get it, I want you to realize you are an overcomer. John 16, out of the NIV says this, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you'll have trouble. Don't we know that to be true? But I think sometimes we, uh, we, uh, we, we elevate the trouble more than we elevate the peace. We look to the items and the things and the cares and the everything going on that's causing the trouble. And because of that, it seems like the trouble in our life is greater when we ought to be looking to Jesus. Hallelujah. Look into the author and the finisher of our faith. Dr. Varela has been saying it. Pastor Mark's been saying it. All eyes on me. Not them, but him. Right? All eyes on me. And so our attention needs to be on Jesus. Amen. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Don't you know that's good news? Amen. It's good news that Jesus has overcome the world because if you look at that, you realize this simple truth. First John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If he overcame the world and he lives on the inside of you, according to 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 6, 19, greater is he that lives on the inside of you than he that lives in the world. If he overcame the world, that means you can overcome the world. Everyone say, I am an overcomer. Romans 8, 36 and 37, now the NIV says, As is written, for your sake, we face death all, all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks be unto God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do someone say, I'm an overcomer. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, the believer can walk in victory. As you live in him, victory is your end. Hallelujah. And in order for us to walk in victory, I believe there's some things we ought to do. But first of all, understand that you are the victor. You are an overcomer. Let it be settled in your heart. You are a conqueror. Hallelujah. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 4 and let's get into it. 
This is the account where Jesus walks on the water. Everybody knows this, but we're going to read it, and then we're going to look at some things that we must be or must do to be and live as an overcomer. Hallelujah. John, or, uh, Matthew 14, we're going to start in verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Afterward, he went up onto the hills by himself to pray. Night fell when he was there alone. Meanwhile, his disciples were in trouble in a faraway land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking it was a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, it is all right. He said, I am here. Don't be afraid. And then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come by walking on the water. All right, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he looked around at the high waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. You don't have much faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when he climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped, and then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. And so I want to look at this portion of Scripture in great detail this morning. And as I do, I believe something powerful is going to happen. I believe God's going to do something on the inside of you. And we're going to look at several things. And, and then, as I was praying last night and the day before, the Lord was just showing me, hallelujah, if you let him this morning, he's going to do something awesome in your life. I believe some stuff we've been dealing with, some stuff we've been carrying, some stuff we've been fighting, he's ready to take it from you this morning. I believe he is ready to help you live as an overcomer. Hallelujah. And so these, these things we're going to look at. Number one, if we're going to live as an overcomer, we must have fellowship with the Father. Over in Matthew 14, 23, and we see Jesus do this. It says, after he dismissed them, he went up onto the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Nothing could ever take the place of your fellowship with the Father. If the only fellowship you have with him is Sunday morning and Wednesday night at church, you will not live as an overcomer. Yes, when the trials and the tribulations come and the cares of this world stack up against you, you may win a battle here and there, but you won't walk in victory if the only time you fellowship with your Creator is at church. If you study the life of Jesus, you'll notice something. Most of the time when He walked out amongst the people and did something miraculous, He came right out of the presence of God. He came right from fellowship in the Father. Jesus shows us a key to walking in victory, and it is to have this relationship with our Heavenly Father. Over in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, he says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. Verse 16. But Jesus often, someone say often, but Jesus often withdrew in the wilderness for prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. What is prayer? Well, it's talking to your heavenly father. It's fellowship with your creator. We see it in the life of Jesus. Now, this is interesting. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. He was continually operating in the gifts of the spirit and nothing was withheld from him. But yet he shows us even for him to live as an overcomer and to walk in continuous victory, he still had to fellowship with the father. Church, 
What's coming out before us is going to require you to know him. You can't know him through your pastor. Come on now. You can't know him through your spouse. Honey, just go pray for us. And that works both ways. Hallelujah. The wife ought not be the one always praying. The husband ought not be the only one praying. Children ought not be the only ones praying. If we're going to live as an overcomer, we must have this relationship that is nurtured with God on a daily basis. It's amazing what we make time for in our lives. Oh, don't get quiet on me now. Mm -hmm. You got all the time in the world for what you want to do. (laughs) Someone say preach it. You got all the time in the world for what you want to do. I just don't have enough time to read my Bible. And you know what else I found to be true? We'll make every excuse not to fellowship with him. Oh, I got this going on. I got that going on. I want you to understand something this morning. Everything you got going on falls apart without him. (laughs) He has got to be first. That's what it said in Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye. Oh, come on now. You know it. Seek ye. Come on. Seek ye. He ought to be first. And it's up to us to make him first and to keep him first. And as we put him first in our lives, he will give us this inner strength that we need need to walk as an overcomer. Can I get a witness this morning? Hallelujah. Go, if you would, over to Matthew chapter 26. Another account that everybody's extremely familiar with. This is where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to read a lot of this, starting in verse 36. It says, And Jesus brought him to the Olive Garden, or the Olive Grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go ahead and pray. There he is again. He took Peter and that dude right there and his two sons, James and John, and he began to be filled with anguish and deep distress. And he told them, now let me ask you this. Has anything over the last couple years filled you with deep anguish and distress? If you say no, you lying. It's been a turbulent couple of years. And we've gone through stuff as a society that we've never gone through before. You know, I know during the lockdown, I was driving, uh, you know, from home to church on a Sunday morning when we were online only, and it was like a ghost town out there. And then we get here, and no one's here because we're on lockdown, everyone's at home, and I was driving to church thinking to myself, I never, if you would have told me two years ago that this was going to happen, I would have never believed it was going to happen. I would have never believed that we'd all be locked in our homes, that a virus would not take over the United States, but take over the world. That something that the devil would do would cause so much fear and trepidation in the church and amongst God's people. I would, if you would have told me that, I would have called you a lie. There's no way that's going to happen. We walked out something that we couldn't even imagine would happen. And it caused a lot of anguish and distress. But what's the answer? A fellowship with him. And so Jesus, and this is what I love about Jesus Deep anguish and distressed. If you're distressed this morning, you're in good company. Jesus was distressed. If you've ever experienced anxiety, I think lots of times when we have, did you know your emotions are from God? Emotions aren't a bad thing. But we're not supposed to be ruled by our emotions. Amen. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. But I love this. Jesus had emotions. He's relevant. 
He understands what you're feeling. He understands what you're going through. He's able to sympathize with us. If I said that correctly, it sounded weird in my head. But he understands what we're going through. And he's given us a key to overcome it. Someone say fellowship. My soul is crushed and grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. He went on a little further and fell down on the ground. My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away. Yet I want your will, not mine. Then he returned to his disciples and found them asleep. And he said, Peter, couldn't you stay awake and watch with me even one hour? Now, this is interesting. We read these scriptures. And when we read these scriptures, scriptures, we, we kind of just put our own little spin on it. When I read that, I just see Jesus going in there. Father, let this cup pass before me. Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And then he comes back to Peter and kicks him because he's sleeping there. That's the way I see this in my head. But then Jesus gives us a little clue here. He says, couldn't you even pray with me for one hour? So that means Jesus was in there. Well, come on now. He just didn't go into the presence of God for 30 seconds. This is what the Bible says. Wait upon the Lord. Right? Go in fellowship with God. Spend some time in his presence. Wait upon the Lord. Jesus wasn't just in there and had this quick little prayer. Now, sometimes you will have this quick little prayer, but then sometimes you just need to stop and wait. Be still and know that I am God. Don't get in a rush with him. Don't hurry this relationship. Take the appropriate time to invest in this relationship you have with your creator. He said, you couldn't even stay up and wait and pray with me for an hour. Keep alert, pray, otherwise temptation will overpower you. For though the spirit is willing and the body is weak. And so we see this now. You want to know why a lot of believers don't overcome. It's because they give in to the weakness of the body because they haven't been edifying the spirit. You want to be overcome, then just feed the body. You know the story about the dogs. I've shared it with you before. About the man that had two dogs and he took them into the city and they would fight and they would bet on the dogs. And every single time he would bet on the dog and the dog that he would bet on, that's the dog that would win. And it was week in, week out, week in, week out. And finally somebody came up to him and said, I'm not losing any more money. I'm not betting on these dogs anymore. But before I leave, you've got to tell me your secret. He said, it's simple. I have two dogs and the one that I want to win that week is the one that I feed. Because I feed it, it's stronger. And so when they come in to fight, the other one doesn't stand a chance. You got two dogs. <laughs> one of them's made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. The other one's the spirit. And whichever one you feed is the one that's going to rule. Everyone say fellowship. fellowship. And so we must fellowship with the Father. So we can overcome our weakness and walk in victory. <laughs> Y'all doing all right this morning. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 16, we got to get going. Hallelujah. We'll just pick up 42. Again, he left them and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away from me until I drink it, it will be done. He returned to them again and found them sleeping. Now, praise God, Jesus is so merciful and long-suffering and gracious. For they couldn't help keep their eyes open. So he went back and prayed a third time, saying at the same time again. Then he came to his disciples and said, Still sleeping? Still resting? Look, the time has come. I, the Son of Man, am betrayed into the hands of the sinners. Up, let's get going. See, my betrayer is here. 
Jesus often withdrew himself to pray. Now, I want you to grab a hold of this. In the midst of his greatest trial, Jesus prayed, and it led him to his greatest victory. I mean, he was being so tried that the word of God tells us he was so vexed that he was sweating great drops of blood. Now, in the middle of that trial, he withdrew himself. And remember what it said. He withdrew himself often. And in the moment of his greatest trial, he prayed and it led him to his greatest victory. We must be people of prayer. We must continually run to our Heavenly Father and find ourselves in his presence. And as we do, he will equip us and empower us to live a life as an overcomer. Everyone say, I'm an overcomer. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way that we are. Yet he was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He has what you need. He has what you need. He knows the answer. He has all the equipment and the resources to get to you, but you've got to go to him and get what you need. Everyone say, I'm a person of prayer. So number one, we must fellowship. Number two, we must trust the word. You'll never walk in victory if you don't trust the word. Now, I want you to remember from the very beginning, the devil's been trying to take word from mankind. He went to Adam and Eve. He got in there. He manipulated what God said. Now, I got to tell you this. You need to know what he said well enough to where if somebody tries to manipulate it, you recognize it as falsehood. Because there's a lot of people manipulating the word of God to try to get something out of the body of Christ. And you need to know what's right and what's wrong. And the way you know what's right and what's wrong is you know this. And when you know this, because the Bible says that the devil comes what instantly to steal or to, to take the word that has been spoken unto you. I wish we had the same respect for the word that the devil has. He understands how powerful it is. That's why he's always trying to get it away from the believer. And not only that, he's always trying to manipulate it. You remember when Jesus was led out in the wilderness for 40 days, he was tempted there by the devil. What did the devil do? Three different experiences where the devil tried to manipulate the word to get something out of Jesus that wasn't doctrinally sound or biblically correct. And then what's incredible about this is the last time he challenged him, he said, look, let me go show you the, the nations of the world. Well, you remember John 3, 16, right? It says that God sent Jesus to die for the world. So here in this final temptation, Jesus is seeing the very thing he was sent to save. And the devil says, just bow down before me and I'll give you all these nations. He tried to manipulate the word to get Jesus to compromise. Listen, in this final days, you better know the word. I said in these final days, you better know the word. It is your weapon. Matthew 14, 27 and 29. Now, I know a lot of these things we talk about a lot of time at Cornerstone, but you need to grab a hold of this. Amen. Matthew 14, 27 and 29. But Jesus immediately said to him, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come onto you walking on the water. 29, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. I remember one of the very first services pastor preached 20 years ago when I moved here from Colorado. He said, Peter didn't walk on the water. He walked on the word. 
If you're going to overcome obstacles, if you're going to overcome waves, if you're going to overcome the storms of life, you've got to know the Word and you've got to trust the Word of God. Now listen to this definition of trust. A firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. I'm going to read it again. A firm belief in the reliability. You know the Word of God's reliable? A firm belief in truth. You know the word of God is true. The word of God says, let the word be true and every man a liar. This is the truth, the life, and the way. There is no other truth. You know, a lot of people, they got this thing, Cody, and I actually did a podcast on this a little while ago about my truth. You know what the problem is with your truth? You made it up. (laughs) Right? That's why it's your truth. Well, if your truth doesn't line up with the truth, you ought to kick your truth to the curb. Amen. And you ought to get in the truth. A lot of people get in trouble by following their truth. Hallelujah. You know what a, a sacrifice of the truth causes? It causes confusion. I could clear up all the confusion in the world if people would just get back to the truth. Confusion about, oh my goodness, hallelujah, we done stepped in it again this morning. Confusion about marriage, sexuality, gender, how to treat others. Confusion, not even just that stuff. Confusion about money. Confusion about work ethic, honor, respect. How do you get rid of all that confusion? The truth. It's got every answer. Teaches you what to do with your money. Teaches you how to treat others. Teaches you what marriage looks like and then how to have a good one. Teaches you who you are in Christ Jesus. It's a mirror. When you look at it, you don't look and see who you are. You look and see who you're supposed to be. The truth is powerful. And this is why the world attacks it. To try to steal, and it's a shame when ministers back away from it because the power is within. Why? Because the truth, the word, is him. He was with God in the beginning. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. How we need to have trust in the reliability, the truth, the ability, and the strength of God's word. There's nothing that can replace it. And you need to know and you need to make up your mind right now, everything the devil does is to steal the word of God. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withered, the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. You can trust the word of God because it's not going anywhere. It is a firm foundation. Hallelujah. When everything else in your life has gone away, the word will remain. Isaiah 55, uh, chapter 55, verse 10 and 11 out of the Barren Study Bible says, For just as the rain and the snow fall down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, making, it bu- making the buds sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty 
but will accomplish what I please and it will prosper wherever I send it. The word of God can be trusted because it never returns void. It always accomplishes what God wants it to accomplish and it always prospers everywhere it goes. You want to bring prosperity to your house? Bring the word to your house. You want to bring prosperity to your business? Bring the word to your business. You want to bring prosperity to your life? Bring the word to your life. We need to trust the word of God. Hallelujah. Now to trust the word of God means you act on the word of God. You all trust those chairs. How do I know? Because you sat down. Your actions show you what you trust. And if we act on the word of God, that means we trust the word of God. You want to know why I'm a tither and a giver? Because the word of God says it. I believe it. That settles it. So I do it. I trust what the word says about my money. So I do it. Amen. Over in James 1.22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word of God and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now go to Matthew chapter 7. Y'all doing all right this morning? Hallelujah. To trust the word of God, we got to be doers of the word. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise. Like a person who builds his house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the winds and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on a rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores them is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against it, the house will fall, against that house it will fall and mighty will be its fall. So what are the difference between the two people? A person who hears the word and acts upon the word as opposed to a person who hears the word and disregards it. We have to trust the word of God and in order to trust the word of God we must obey the word of God. It's only when you hear and obey that you start to build upon the rock. Now what's interesting about this scripture <laughs> He said, when the winds beat against it. If you look up that word right there, winds, it's the same word we find in Ephesians 4 that says you won't be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Hallelujah. There's a lot of false teaching out there about the word of God. And when that wind beats against your house, if you're not set in this, it will knock your home over and great will be its fall. What am I saying? Stick with the word. Someone say, I'm sticking with the word. How do you say, I'm sticking with the word? We got to trust in God's word. We got to rely on God's word and we've got to stay with the word. Don't let anything take this out of your life. I want to move on to the next one, but we can't yet. Don't let anyone take this out of your life. It is a valued treasure that has every answer you need. And all the power you need for your life is withheld within. Amen. The next one. So first, we got to have fellowship with the Father. Next, we got to trust and rely on the Word. Number three, in order to have and live as an overcomer, there's some things we must leave behind to pursue Jesus. Amen. Matthew 14, 29, out of New Living Translation, he said, Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. To walk in victory, we must adopt this way of thinking. I'm willing to leave whatever I must behind so I can pursue Jesus. 
I know over the last two years, <clears throat> this is what I know through prayer, not just by natural, but through prayer. There's been a lot of things that have been added to our life that God wants us to let go of. To walk in victory, you've got to figure out what you must leave behind. You know, Peter, he left the comfort of the boat. Right? He left his friends. Now, I'm a firm believer, you know, first you ought to try taking them with you. But if they won't go, you don't stay. Amen. He, he, he looked at the other disciples. He left. In the, he left. What are they going to say? I, I love this. Peter wasn't concerned. If I jump out of this boat and I fell miserably, I, am, I don't care what they're going to say about me. So what did he leave? He left the opinions of men. He left his ego. He, le- he left it all behind to pursue Jesus. Come on, what about you? What do we have to leave? Maybe we got to leave some bitterness behind. Maybe we got to leave some hurts behind. Some offenses behind. I know you all have heard this before, but if you carry that offense, what's it going to do? It's going to build a fence between you and God. And that's a problem because that's where your help comes from. So what do you got to do with that offense? You got to let it go. You know, I got this glass of water right here, and I measured it out last night. My wife, she's got this scale that she uses in her kitchen when it comes to baking and cooking. You know, because some stuff requires the exact amount of ingredients. I'm the worst. I just start throwing stuff in there until it looks good. I, I want to smell it across the living room. You know what I mean? If I can't smell it, throw some more in there. You know, I mean, just keep dumping it in there. And most of the time, it doesn't turn out good. Because <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just dumping the ingredients. But this has about 8 to 10 ounces of water in it. Not a lot. I weighed it on her scale. It's one pound, 7.4 ounces. And you know, I can carry this water for a day just like this, and it's not really going to greatly affect my life. Why? Because it doesn't weigh that much. It's just a little. But if I carried this cup for two days, three days, a week, a month, it's going to begin to affect my life and the way I live. You know, if I held my arm just like this, holding this one pound, 7.4 ounces, eventually my arm would become numb. Almost to the state of being paralyzed. To where it doesn't even function. And now just this little bit of weight is negatively affecting my life in a great way. This is the way it is with the bitterness we pick up. This is the way it is with the offense that we pick up. With the hurts and the failures. Anybody in the room ever made a mistake before? See, and we grab a hold of that weight and we carry it. And it's not a big deal at first. But then over time, that little bit of weight begins to affect everything in our lives. How I'm treating people. How I'm treating my spouse. How I'm working at my job. What I'm saying about my church. Oh yeah, I'll just get right down here with y'all. See, pastors, they're not on social media, but I am. So I have the unfortunate privilege of seeing what everyone posts. 
And I've asked the Lord, can I get off here? And he said, no, I need you on here. I'm like, well, that's kind of rude. <laughs> I want to be on here. <laughs> the hurt. It's real light at first. But we just hold on to it. We hold on to it. We hold on to it. Listen, if you're going to walk in victory, you've got to put down the glass. The Word of God says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Why would you hold on to something that He sets you free from? Why would you let it negatively affect your life when He took it for you on the cross? Someone say amen. amen. We got to leave some things behind. Romans 13, 12 says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Come on, this morning will you let go of that weight? We let go of that sin. The Bible says you're no longer a slave to sin, but your new master is righteousness. You know why the devil so tries to entangle the church in sin? Because it affects our confidence. It's hard to go into the presence of God when you're coming right out of sin. And you've got this open door to go... You know, the Bible says that Jesus, through the work of Christ, he rent the veil in two. He tore the wall of separation that separated us between, and God, between us and God. And then he made us righteous in him. We don't have time to go into it, but your righteousness is a legal position that's been given to you by Jesus Christ. And no man, woman, action, deed can take it away from you. You're righteous. And there's nothing you can do in this moment to become more righteous than you are right now. But yet, when we don't live holy lives, it affects the way we think concerning our righteousness. It affects the way we see ourselves. And now we don't see ourselves as the righteousness of Christ Jesus. We see ourselves as a sinner. And so instead of going to God when we should go to God, we have all these weights and this sin that's affecting our confidence. And now we can't go boldly before. Oh, come on now. See, what holiness does is it protects the way you see your righteousness. And righteousness and holiness are two different things. My goodness, I don't have time to get into it. Righteousness is who you are. Holiness is what you do. But we got to let go of it. Let go of our sin. You know, the Word of God says, be holy as He is holy. We just read that scripture. He understands our weakness. He faced temptation, yet he never entered into sin. And I love what the Word of God says. It says sin could not be found in him. You want to know why Jesus was so confident? It's because he never sinned. Oh, that's good, and that'll help you. That's good, and that'll help you. 
See, because when the devil comes and the storms of life come to attack your business, to attack your family, you need to boldly, with confidence, go before the throne of God and deal with some things. You need to be confident in your authority. You won't be confident. See, there's something we have to understand. We'll just say this and we'll move on. You can give your life to Jesus and he can be your savior and you can still, you know, live a life of sin and you'll, you'll, you'll make it to heaven. Best of my knowledge, I wouldn't play that game if I was you, but. But is it worth having hell on earth to gain heaven for eternity? What do I mean? No, I want heaven on earth. <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to wait till I get to heaven for it to be good, y'all. I want it to be good right now. In order for it to be good right now, I got to leave the former things behind me. I got to strip off the old man and walk in the new man. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, we quoted earlier. All the old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. Let's just, let's put it to the side. Let's forget about those things and let's move on. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says this. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? See, God wants to do a new thing in your life. Someone say glory to God. But he can't do a new thing in your life if you're still holding on to the old thing. <laughs> Psalms 55, 22 says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Hallelujah. I wrote this down. It is impossible to overcome the challenges of the future if we're still holding on to the failures of the past. It is impossible to overcome the challenges of the future if we're still holding on to the failures of the past. The Apostle Paul had a revelation of this. He said, I forget those things which are behind me and I push towards the things that are before me. See, Peter over in Matthew, this is what we're looking at, he understood that. He climbed over the boat and he pursued Jesus. In order to do so, he had to leave some things behind. Whatever's been going on in your life, I encourage you, leave it here this morning. Whatever's been stirred up over the last couple years that isn't from the Word of God and is not from God, leave it here this morning. And don't pick it up again. We've got to lay some things aside if we're going to walk as an overcomer. Amen? And then the final thing we have to do, or what we can't do, we cannot waver in our faith. If you're going to walk as an overcomer, you cannot waver in your faith. Over in Matthew 14, 29, 31, Jesus said, come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water. He came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took a hold of Peter. You're ye of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Listen, you cannot waver in your faith. You cannot waver in what you believe. Come on now. See, Peter got out of the boat by faith, but then he sunk by fear. If you're going to walk on the water... If you're going to live as an overcomer, what you start in faith, you must continue in faith. And you can't let go of it. Over in Romans chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promises. In fact, his faith grew stronger. 
And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced. Someone say, I'm fully convinced. Why am I fully convinced? Because I trust the reliability of God's word. I trust the truth of God's word. I trust the strength of God's word. And God's word has convinced me what he has promised he will also do. And he, was, he grew stronger in faith and it brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promised. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted unto him righteousness. What was God's promise? I will make you a father of many nations. He promised that to him. But when he promised that to Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old, but Isaac didn't show up until he was 100. Did y'all catch that? Abraham was promised by God to be a father of many nations when he was 75 years old. But his first biological son from Sarah did not show up until he was 100. Just because it doesn't happen when we want it to happen doesn't mean it's not going to. Do not waver in what God said. Do not waver in the truth, the reliability, the strength, the ability of God's word. See, this is Peter's mistake. He began to look at everything else. And when he did, he wavered on what Jesus said. If you're going to walk in victory, you cannot waver in what God said to you. Come on, people of faith. Somebody say, I'm a person of faith. Well, what does that mean? Well, Mark eleven twenty three 23 says, if you're a person of faith, you can speak to mountains and they have to obey you. You say, go and it goes. You say, come and it comes. Why? Because you're a person of faith. And we know what the word of God says. It says that the just shall live by faith. Don't let go of your faith. <laughs> Rachel and I, were, we were joking this weekend. I'm reminded of that song, Waymaker. When I don't see it, you're working. When I don't feel it, you're working. <laughs> I'm about to bust into song up here. Why? Because he's a way maker. My job is to believe. His job is to make the way. I said my job is to believe. His job is to make the way. Amen. When you live by faith, you'll see God's word work every time. He's not a man that he should lie. Did he not say it? Will he not do it? He'll do it every time. Just believe. We hope you're inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the Word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Madison. We believe God is working within you, and we want you to know him so you too can make him.